Have you ever, have you ever been in a situation where you felt compelled to serve someone? Or maybe even felt compelled to show them love, and yet <laughs> that person didn't deserve it? Right? Are you sitting next to them today? Right? Have you ever have you been in that situation where you felt compelled, like, man, I need to serve this person, I need to love on them, but they don't really deserve it. In fact, everything in your body said, be, uh, don't be nice, right? You know, they didn't, they didn't put their laundry away, they didn't put the dishes away, they left their cup out, right? Um, this person cut me off on the way to church, and then they pulled in the parking lot, and they think I'm going to shake their hand today, right? I'm not doing that. So everything in your body is saying, don't be nice, don't let your guard down. What our old nature tells us, the brokenness from our heart says, do what's best for you, because this person doesn't deserve it. I don't know if you have kids, but I often hear that, you know. I hear that in my own home. I hear that in my own family. Shoot, I hear that sometimes around the church. I think Jesus knew the disposition of our heart, and that's why he spoke these words over 2,000 years ago to his disciples. Because one of the things that would be indicative of or characteristic of those who follow Jesus would be our love for one another and our love for those who didn't deserve it. In part because that's what Jesus was doing when he came to die on the cross for our sins and pay for our brokenness to restore us and make us whole even though we didn't deserve it. And so I think Jesus understood the disposition of the human heart. In fact, I think he understood its desire for fairness, and justice, and yea, even revenge. But the problem with that is that we're incapable of knowing what's fair because of our own bent towards sin and our own self-absorption. And so what Jesus was trying to teach his disciples and to communicate to them was we, as followers of Jesus, must move from self to service. We must move from being about us to being about others. And the reality is, is when I say this, to some large degree, it feels like a Christian platitude. It very much feels like a Christian cliche, you know? Uh, If you want joy, Jesus, others, and you, right? How does that work when my spouse is mistreating me? How does that work when my boss just keeps throwing on more and more work? How do I do that when this person in my job just continues to gossip about me and try to malign my character so that I can't move forward in my employment. Well, Jesus, I believe, in spite of all of those situations we find ourselves in, Jesus was leading his disciples to be characterized by love and service to others. And our attitude shouldn't be, they don't deserve it, but our attitude would be, how can I show this person the love of Jesus Christ even when I've been mistreated? You know, man, I'm going to be honest, I struggle with this. I struggle with this more than I even want to admit. You know, when you think about it, so often we think in terms of fairness, and we think in terms of justice, and, and, and we think about, man, should I do this for this person because do they really deserve it? Do they, do they merit my love? Do they merit my, 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 my service to them? Do they, do they merit, uh, you know, do they earn this? And you know, the problem is, is that we don't think through the lenses of this truth. When we don't do that, we become very arrogant. We get very proud and we get critical of others. And then we become deserving. I deserve this. I deserve this kind of love. I deserve to be treated this way. And they're not treating me this way. And they're not accepting me. And they're 
they're not affirming me, and they're, they're not treating me fairly, so why in the world would I show them any form of love? And I think it just goes back to what we've been talking about this entire year. And it's this. Jesus is more concerned with who you are than what you do. Jesus is more concerned with your personhood. He's more concerned with your character. He's more concerned with the person that you're becoming than the things that you're doing. And we roll back into this principle that keeps popping up in every truth that Jesus is teaching his followers. And that is this. He is teaching us in this particular principle, in this particular text, that we are to be a people of love. We are to develop a heart of love. That's who we are supposed to be so that we can do what we're supposed to do. And so here's the big idea this morning. This is kind of what we want to wrap our thoughts around as we talk through this text. Putting others first, putting others first is the most powerful statement of God's love for others. Putting others first. You see, as disciples, you and I are ambassadors who represent God's love to those who are forgotten, those who are far from God, and even those who have failed us. In your home, I imagine, if you've been married for any amount of time, you have a spouse that has failed you. I imagine, uh, my kids are here this morning, yesterday, one of my kids, I completely, completely failed them. I don't know that I've ever failed them in this way where they needed to be somewhere and do something And I totally messed up. I imagine that if you're in any social context, you've been hurt, you've been betrayed, you've you've been, some person has failed you to some degree, and yet, in spite of that, God is calling us to develop a heart of love and service to those who have mistreated us. Now, This, like verses 1 through 6 that Mike talked about a few weeks ago, are some of the most misunderstood verses in the Word of God. The golden rule, and I wrote up there the GR, we're going to call it the GR today. The golden rule, that's what it's called, is that it's not the way to the kingdom, it's the way of the kingdom. Are you guys with me? Like, you don't get into heaven by putting other people first. That's not the way to heaven. It's the way of the kingdom. That's the way of disciples. It's the way that we behave as followers of Jesus Christ. And so it's not like if I let that old lady and I help her cross the street, I'm in on the kingdom. No, you're in on the kingdom because what Jesus Christ did for you 2,000 years ago on a cross and he paid your sin and he gave you his righteousness so that you could be whole before God. That's how we attain salvation. That's how we find our way into the kingdom. But once we're in the kingdom, The way of the kingdom is that we love others, we serve others, and we strive to outdo them in love, putting them first for the sake of the name and the glory of God himself. Now, in Mark chapter 10, verses 33 and 35, the disciples were arguing. I don't think the disciples were any different than you and I. You know, James and John, mama's boys, Mama walks into the room, hey, Jesus, when you get to heaven, could you let my boy sit on your right and your left? I mean, that's what they were pursuing. We want to be up front. We want to be part of the show. We want to be, uh, uh, we want to have a position of, of authority. And then the rest of the disciples heard the discussion. Now they're upset. And I'd just be upset because I'd have just been like, dude, you're a mama's boy. Like, I just straight up would have said that to James and John. 
really? You're going to send your mom to Jesus? To, yeah, I, you guys with me? So then in Mark chapter 10, Jesus says this, not my kingdom. It shall not be so among you. But whoever will be great, you must be your, uh, you must, uh, be your servant. And whoever will be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is saying to his disciples, look, in my kingdom, the way up is down. The way to find success is service. The way to move forward in the kingdom is to make sure that other people are taken care of, that other people are loved, that other people are served, so that my love can be seen in you and through you for the glory of God. And I think the most prolific attribute that has the potential to set us apart for our calling is our selfless love. I think it could be the most prolific statement to a world that is lost, to a world that is selfish, to a world that looks out for itself, to see people who genuinely love and care and have compassion on others as we seek to spread the good news of the gospel. Unfortunately, many times, we find ourselves characterized by self. And what Jesus is talking about in this text, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law of the prophets. What, it, what we're drilling down into this morning is how we're going to come, what is it going to look like for us to love others? What is it going to look like for us to serve those that God has placed in our lives? So the first thing that we see in this text this morning is the power of selfless love. The power of selfless love. You see, the person who practices the golden rule refuses to say or do anything. This is what it means. We refuse to say or do anything that would harm ourselves or other people. That's what the golden rule means. We refuse to do that. And so ultimately, what this means is this. You might write this down. The golden rule means that I'm willing to put other people first. I'm willing to allow them to have the last piece of pie. I'm willing to allow them to have the last piece of pizza. I, even though they had three and I had one, I'm willing to serve them. I'm willing to give up what's best for me so that they can know and feel and experience what it means to have selfless love in their life. And could you imagine what it would be like we foster and we have kids coming in our home all the time. A lot of these kids, man, are just like traumatized by the experiences that they, that they have in their lives. And, and these kids, and I know the Andersons do this too, and it's, it's messed up. Like some of these things that these kids experience, and some of these kids don't know what it means to be loved and to experience a love that is selfless. And can you imagine how world-changing it would be for other people who Maybe they have a spouse at home that's abusing them. Maybe they have a boss at work that's just grinding them out. How crazy would it be if someone stepped into their life and selflessly showed them the love of Jesus Christ and didn't try to use them as a means to an end like everyone else in their life does? Man, it could be really powerful. You see, practicing the golden rule releases the love of God in our lives and enables us to help others, even those who hurt us, And practicing this means we're going to pay a price. Now, when God's love is demonstrated by putting others first, it pictures his love for that individual. So often we forget. Now, please note this. 
So often we forget that our fellow human beings, whether they're saved or whether they are far from God, that our fellow human beings are created in the image of God. It's called the imagio Dei, the image of God. So an attack or a hurt toward another human then attacks the very image of God's creation. Because we are made in the likeness of God. And so the thought is this, love is the foundation to restoring others back to Him. You see, if you and I are ambassadors of Jesus Christ, if you and I are followers of Jesus Christ, and we are to represent and to demonstrate and to put on display the love of God, there's no other way for them to know that love unless they see it through our lives. Man, this truth is so practical, it's so powerful. Because, man, there isn't a person in this room who hasn't been hurt by someone at some point in their life. For many, it's that spouse, as a parent, as a friend, a co-worker, or maybe even a classmate. And yet, even in the midst of our pain and hurt, God calls us to live out the power of the gospel towards those whom he has called us to love and those who he's called us to serve. In fact, it gets really, can we just get really practical this morning? What does this look like? For many of you, you live with a spouse or a sibling, and you just, you're tired of picking up their clothes. Can I get a witness? Right? I got a couple in my home. I'm not saying it's April or the kids, but I got a couple, man. Like, when they come home, it's like, I don't need to know where they are. I just follow the line of clothes. You know? Hey, this is where your shoes go. This is where, you know, I mean, are you guys with me? Super practical stuff here. And in my mind, here's what I'm thinking. Man, if these people really love me, they pick up after themselves. Right? Don't we think that way? How about we invert that to kingdom thinking? And if I loved them, I'd pick this stuff up. If I loved them, I'd put these dishes away. Man, if I loved them, I'd go the extra mile and I'd put them first. And I wouldn't lose my mind and get angry and create a place of, of, of turmoil in the home over something that's incredibly insignificant. We justify it because we're saying, well, we're training them and we're trying to make them better for the real world, when in reality, all they've done is just impositioned us and created more work for us. And maybe there's an employee that you work with and they do that for you. They just create more work for you. They create more stuff for you to do because they don't know how to do their job. And yet we just find ourselves in the midst of this context asking ourselves, can we serve in that way that God has called us to? Now, how about just generally sharing with others? How about, just, how about just being there for someone when it's an imposition? You know how you know when your friends are or who your friends are? How, you guys know, you know how you know when your friends? Two things. Will they pick you up from O'Hare at rush hour? That's number one. That's how you know you got a legit friend, right? Amen? And the second one is when you move, are they going to help you load your U-Haul? And I know some of you have asked me, I can't do that. I've had back surgery, and I try to limit that. So please, I love you. I will be your friend. But one out of two ain't bad, right? But that's how you know. And you know what? Every time someone moves, it's never a good time. Every time someone needs to go to the airport, not a good time, you know? But that's really, to some degree, what we're talking about is, are we willing to be impositioned? Are we willing to, to, to have our schedule messed up, even when it's not planned? Are we willing to do that? And I'm, I'm as scheduled as they come. I know there's others that schedule a lot better than I do. But man, life is filled with pivots. 
Life is filled with unexpected opportunities for us to demonstrate and show love to other people. And I know sometimes, man, like, I got a call this morning from from Paul's sister-in-law. Hey, Paul died. You know what? My whole schedule just changed this week. Everything that I was planning on doing is likely going to be jaded in some way simply because I'm going to have to step into that context and I'm going to have to love them, even though, yeah, it's an imposition. Yeah, it's going to create more work for me, but that's what we do. And that's a big deal, but how about this? How about when someone says, hey, I need a ride, or hey, I forgot this, or hey, I didn't plan on this, and you're going to have to forgive me, but can you help me? And how many times do we get frustrated with other people when they're asking us for help, and in our mind, we were thinking this, you should have planned better, and you should have known that this could happen, and you should have built in margin. Where is the love of Jesus in all of that? Are you guys with me? Where is it? Because not everyone's created the same way. And I recognize this morning that there's some guys in here. John's an engineer, and he plans out things pretty well. Uh, I'm, I am a, uh, a type A. I tend to be very planned, but I, John will tell you, I pivot a lot. Hey, why don't we do this? Hey, why don't we try this? And I know a lot of times for the people on our team, that drives them nuts. But check it out. I'm so thankful that the church is diverse in personality. Can we get a witness? Because could you imagine what this church would be like if it was filled with people just like me? It would be a cult, one, right? <laughs> right? But it would be weird, right? So we've got to learn to celebrate the differences of those in our family. We've got to learn to celebrate the differences of those in our communities and those that we work with and those, those that we serve with in the local church. We've got to learn to celebrate and recognize Hey, man, I've worked with creatives before, and, man, that takes like a master's degree level to understand a creative's personality, right? They're just so random. And, I mean, you could send them to a, 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 a personal uh, time management seminar every year for 10 years, and they would never learn how to manage time because they're creative. But you know what? They make things beautiful. Creatives do that. And so, so, so the thing is, is like, we tend to get frustrated with people, and we tend to, to, to get all out of sorts, when in reality, God's not trying to get us to a place to fix people that aren't like us. He's trying to get us to a place where we can serve people so that the kingdom message could go forward. Now, Philippians says it this way. Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves, and let each of you look not on his own interests, but on the interests of others. That's the calling of a follower of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you this morning, if this was indicative in our lives, our families, our, our, our lives, our church, would have such an impact it would be limitless if we could truly put the interests of others ahead of our own. So we see the power of selfless love, but we also see the problem of selflessness. And it's not really so much of a problem as it is a dilemma. I mean, we could be pretty selfish, can't we? I mean, I can, right? I'm like... Um, this morning, my kids, I love Fruity Pebbles. I do. And, and, you know, I love them, and I don't like to share them. Because my kids think that they can eat them after every meal, and I like them for a treat. You know what I'm saying? I just like a treat. Like, I want a bowl, maybe a couple nights a week after my meal. Uh, I like something sweet before I go to bed, and those are my Fruity Pebbles. And so for my birthday, Brianna got me a box of Fruity Pebbles that were just for me, right? Nobody can touch them. So this morning, April pulls out a box of cereal and asks Sarai, would you like some Fruity Pebbles? I'm like, no, 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 no. 
My fr- she goes, I'm, these are Fruit Loops, baby. I just said Fruity. I said, all right, we're good. We can share that with her, but not my Fruity Pebbles. Man, we could be pretty selfish. I can. It bothers me. I know it. I can feel it. I sense it. I'm aware of it. In fact, others can hurt us. You know what I'm saying? Our spouses hurt us. Our kids hurt us. Our parents hurt us. I mean, this life and this world is incredibly broken and messed up. People can do us harm. And I want to tell you this morning, it's a pretty vulnerable thing to put someone ahead of yourself. In fact, it can bring on a level of fear. It can bring on a level of uneasiness because we lose control of the outcome. And that's ultimately what we want. We want control of the outcome. We want to put ourselves on the throne of our heart and on the throne of our life so that we can feel safe, so that we can feel loved, so that we can feel affirmed in how we live our life. But man, this is the part where we get to trust God and watch him work. Because see, when you put other people first and you trust God with fairness and you let God have, you let God avenge the, the mistreatment that you experience in life, when you let God take care of you, there's nothing else like it in all the world. Several years ago, man, I went through a season in ministry that was insanely difficult. I made some decisions in the church, and at the time, and I still to this day believe they were wise decisions. I handled them poorly. I was a young pastor. I was 28 years old, pretty arrogant and full of myself, and thought I had the world figured out, thought I had church planning figured out, and I made some poor decisions. And some people that had stood with me and had loved me and had supported me in my ministry, all of a sudden they were nowhere to be found. And then word started coming back to me that, you know, hey, uh, you know, Jason is this, and Jason lied about this, and Jason, man, I'm telling you, I woke up one morning, and I stood in my closet. My wife and I, we talked about this the other day. I stood in my closet, and I just wept. And I told her, I said, I've never felt like more of a failure in my entire life. I feel so alone, and I'm sorry that you married such a poser, and the kids are going to have a, a poser dad, and I just, I've messed this whole thing up. I want to share with you two things. Number one, I needed to go through that because while, yes and amen, the decisions may have been the right decisions, I handled them in an arrogant and selfish way. And God needed to do a work in my heart, and God is still doing that work because I can still be arrogant, and I can still be selfish. Ask John and Mike, and when we get in meetings sometimes, I just lose my mind sometimes. And these guys lovingly come alongside of me and, and, and try to shepherd me because pastors don't live above and beyond the body of Christ. We're still a part of the body. So I needed to go through that. But I remember over time, things began to get vindicated. Things began to come around. Because you know what? Sometimes we need to go through hurt. Sometimes we need to go through betrayal. We need to go through the lies. And we need to go through the, the, the mischaracterizations. You know what? The reason we do is because that's the way of the kingdom. See, as followers of Jesus Christ, we want to talk about Sunday. We want to talk about the resurrection when Jesus came victoriously out of the grave and he makes all things new and he transforms everything and all is good now in the world. But you have no gospel if you don't go through the cross and you spend three days in the grave. You have no gospel. And so that's why, for me, I have a problem with the prosperity gospel because not every day is a Friday. And it's not your best life now. 
Your best not life now is the life to come. It's what we sang about this morning that one day when he comes in robes of white, our eyes will be transfixed on his wonderful face. That's the life that we're living for. And in order to get there, we have to put others first. We have to walk through some suffering. We have to walk through some difficulty. We have to live uh, desperate for the grace and the righteousness of Jesus Christ in our lives. That's the problem that we find ourselves in. We think we got to avenge ourselves. or We have to look out for ourselves. And when we've been hurt, we want to avenge. And I'm going to tell you, every single one of those folks, that said those things to me. And I'm going to talk about this here in a moment. Some of it may have been true. Some of it may be embellished. Because um, to some degree, I believe most people lie. Like We all lie, right? You know, we do. All people lie, and we all struggle with being honest, right? And so some of that stuff may or may not have been true. But I know this. Over time, God did a work in me. And God did some things in me that had I not gone through that, I wouldn't be the man and pastor and follow Jesus that I am today. God took care of all that stuff. You see, we often want to avenge. We often want to speak into those situations. And I can honestly say that in all those situations when I was just being tore up, I never said a bad word about any of those folks. Wrote them letters, said, hey, I love you. Thank you for how you invested in my life, how you invested in this church, how you invested in this ministry. Our church wouldn't be what it is today had you not invested in us. Ronnie Floyd has a quote, and I'm going to mention it later, and it's this. Never let anyone outside of your circle of love. I don't want to be a bridge burner. Amen? I don't want to be a bridge burner. I don't want to burn the bridges. I want people to feel like they can always step back into this so that we can be a picture of the reconciliation and the love of Jesus Christ. That would be my testimony, and that would be my heart. And so what we find is the protection, not just the problem, but the protection of selfless love. Because it's hard to love someone who has repeatedly failed you who has hurt you. Yet isn't that the very thing that God has done for us when he left heaven to come to us, to redeem us, to restore us, to make all things new? So instead of avenging ourselves or seeking what is humanly fair, we put our faith in God and we watch him faithfully take care of those who follow him, which is us. To love and serve others is an act. Listen, please write this down. To love and serve others is an act of obedient faith. It's an act of obedient faith. That God calls us to. We don't know the outcome. We know that sometimes people don't deserve it. We know that they're not, they haven't earned or merit that to some degree, but neither have we. And yet we're trusting that God will use our faith so that others can experience his love. Because when you're obedient to God and you're following his will and ways, God will protect you and sustain you and guide you when you feel lost. Now look at Romans chapter 12. I think this is in your notes today. Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. What? Never avenge yourself. Are you kidding me? Because I'm like, you know, that cat just cut me off in traffic. Like, I'm going to cut him back. You know? Never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Listen to this. This is for you. Man, some of you are sitting in this room today, and you're bitter, man. Like you're bitter at your spouse. You're bitter at your parents. You've got, you're so messed up. And I, I'm one of those people, man. I'm so messed up. And I think a lot of our issues come from our family origin, how our parents treated us and how our spouses treat us. And, or maybe 
Maybe you're in a situation, man, where a pastor failed you or hurt you. Hey, listen, pastors are, are messed up, man. Like, we're just as broken as you are. And I want to repeat this to our church. Don't follow me. Follow Jesus. Follow me as I struggle my best to follow him. If I cross the finish line, I'm not coming across the finish line hitting the ticker tape. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to drag this broken body across the line, and it'll only be by the grace of God. People hurt us, man. And we get bitter. And then unforgiveness creeps up in our heart. and, And this root of bitterness just swells up inside of us, and we lose our joy, and we we, we, we lose our purpose and our calling in life and the design for which God created us. And look at what it says here. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And I'm going to, some of you this morning, you're ticked at one of the pastors. Some of you this morning, you're ticked at your spouse. Maybe you're ticked at your mom and dad, or you're ticked at a teacher. And mark my words, if you walk around in life with that type of bitterness, and you walk around with that type of, uh, of unforgiveness, you will be overcome by evil. It will be the ruin of you. In fact, I've often said that bitterness is a prison of its own making, and the door is left wide open, and all you have to do is walk out, but instead, you choose to stay. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. One of the things that we need to be reminded of is that we identify with Jesus most when we walk in suffering, when we walk in hurt, and when we walk in betrayal. Man, Jesus did some pretty crazy things, didn't he? Fed 5,000. Jesus, like, healed blind Bartimaeus. He rose Lazarus from the dead. That's legit stuff, right? But how about Good Friday? I mean, when they mocked him, they put him on like a, a, a joke of a trial. They got false witnesses to claim that he said things that he didn't say. And then they plucked out his beard and they forced a crown of thorns on his head and they beat him with a cat of nine tails. And then they had him carry, and we walked this in Jerusalem a few years ago down the Via Della Rosa. We walked down the, the, the city streets of Jerusalem and they had our Savior and our Lord carry his cross after the beatings and after the mockery and after the pulling of the beard and after the crown of thorns on his head. And they had him carry his cross through the streets of Jerusalem while everyone mocked him. And yet we think that our experience is going to be different than that of Jesus. We think that our experience is going to be better just because we're on the A-team. We made the varsity team. God really got something when he picked me to be a follower of him. We're never more like Jesus Christ when we've been hurt or used. And yet, we choose to love and serve our enemy. Some of you this morning, man, someone hurt you. Like, just, and I'm going to be honest with you. Like, I'm not trying to minimize stuff this morning. But some of you, it's just ridiculous the things that you're upset about. I mean, it is absolutely ridiculous, the things that you're just like, I'm not going to participate anymore. I'm not going to love this person anymore. I'm not going to talk to them anymore. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be funny, but that's, seriously, it's, 
It's like we're back in high school. You know? It's really not that important. Now, disclaimer, if you're being sexually abused, if you're being physically abused or emotionally abused and there's harm going on in your home, that's a whole different conversation. I'm talking about the everyday stuff. I'm talking about the practical, just the idiosyncrasies of a family, of a, of a relationship, of a church. Because we've got to understand that the path to salvation for us involved the cross. Jesus, Jesus came from heaven. He, he was born as an infant child. Could you imagine putting yourself in a more vulnerable position than being born as an infant? Jesus suffered for our sins, and he took our shame as our own. And I want to tell you this morning, suffering is a catalyst to our likeness and service to Jesus. This is what it means to be like him, especially when we've been hurt by those we're called to serve, because ultimately Jesus takes care of our hurt and pain. This isn't a cliche. It's not a platitude. But it's a truth that God transforms our path into his purposes. So at the end of the day, we're called to love and serve those in our lives without reservation. Some people who have hurt me the most, listen to this, man. This is a testimony. Some of the people that have hurt me the most are the ones that I've loved and served the most. Is that true in your life? Some of the people that that have hurt me the most have been the ones that I've spent the most time with. It was painful. And yet, it was a part of God's purpose. Several years ago, we had some friends came to church here, and man, I I I've been over backwards for them. They left the church, and for years we didn't really talk to them, and it was just it's just sad, you know. And I mean, you know, pastors are human too. Sometimes we feel this sense of profound loneliness, and we feel like, man, why am I such a a screw up, and why can't I get things right, and how come no one likes me, you know? And I remember having these friends, and I remember thinking to myself, man, my word, like, what did we do? And I, I, I took a stand on an issue, and I, and, and, and I just, I knew, they, I knew they wouldn't like it, but I wasn't going to be kowtowed into a decision just because we were friends, because I'm, I'm not a political person. This isn't a constituency. I'm not a hireling to do what you want me to do. I'm here to follow Jesus and lead the church into the future and do what God's called us to do. And so a decision had to be made, and I made a decision. And they left the church. For years, the relationship was broken. We'd see each other in public, and we would talk to each other, and it was just wasn't right. And several years later, I got a phone call. And this individual said, can I come to your house and talk to you and your wife? Sure. Never had this happen in 20 years of ministry. This person was like, man, I've been attending church, and I think I want to join this new church. And uh, the pastor told me, said, do you have any ought with anyone in your life right now? Do you have any ought with anyone from the church that you came from that you need to take care of because we don't want you bringing that? And I thank God for pastors like that. Don't be bringing your garbage here, you know. She goes, matter of fact, I do. That person came to our home, and they sat in our living room, and she says, you know, I just want you to know that I'm sorry. I want to ask you to forgive me, and I want to thank you for never letting me out of your circle of love, and I just want you to know that I was wrong. And immediately, immediately the relationship was restored. 
You know why? Because as followers of Jesus Christ, we live from a disposition of forgiveness. We do for others exactly what Jesus did for us, and that is to forgive. The relationship is new. The relationship is moving forward. All because we should never let anyone outside of our circle of love. I'm not saying that to tell you what a great person I am, because I'm not. But I just know how broken I am. And I know that I have legitimately hurt people. And I know that I've said things. And I know that I'm not the greatest at whatever. But I know this, that I want to do my best to make sure that those around me know that I love them and there's always a place at the table for them. You know, what's incredible about this passage of Scripture is there's no conditions to this promise. Jesus said we're to do for others what we'd want done to ourselves. What would you want someone else to do in your situation? Some of you are like, well, I can't forgive them. They haven't asked for it. Well, maybe they don't even know. Maybe they haven't wrapped their head around it yet. But I'll tell you one thing. If you hold on to that, you're going to be bitter. It's pretty obvious that we want to be loved, we want to be served, and we want to be forgiven if necessary. This is what we're called to do for others. We're called to put others first. And as disciples, we make the statement of God's love when we put them first. And so this morning, I just want to acknowledge This is going to be a struggle for you. It's going to be a struggle for me. But I want to encourage you this week to just take this text. It's one verse, one passage. Take this one verse and just read it over and over again. Meditate on it. Think of all the ways in a week when you put yourself first. Think about all the times this week. And I want to say this to my own family. We need to, as our own family, think of the ways that we tend to put ourselves first. And then I want to say to our church, think about how you do that in your own home. Think about how you do that in this church, how you put yourself first, how you're not outdoing one another in love, as Romans 12 says. I want you to read and meditate on this text. Think of the ways that you put yourself first. And then I want you to think of how slyly you try to come out ahead of those that you're called to love and serve and share God's love with. Think about that. You know, we're sneaky about it. We're sneaky about trying to come out ahead to get more or to be better. It may be in your family. It may be a friend. It may be a coworker, a schoolmate. Either way, I want you to pick a few ways this week that you could put other people first. 